on this week's episode of Empower. I'm joined by Josh Moore and Marcus Esther, two of the leaders and the young professionals, to discuss the recent protests, action steps, and the recent backlash from comments from Drew Brees, quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. Empower is a podcast presented by the Houston Area Urban League that serves to inform young professionals about the Urban League, its programs, and the various civic and social topics pertinent to the community they serve. Welcome back to the Empower podcast. This is Ray Shackleford, and this is presented each and every week by the Houston Area Urban League. Today, I am joined by two special guests, two of our young professionals here in Houston, Mr. Marcus Esther and Josh Moore. Brothers, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Good, brother. Can't complain other than, you know, everything that's going on in the world. Yes, yes, we will get into that. Uh, But first, I want you each to talk about how you came to know about the Urban League, to join it, and ultimately now you both serve in leadership. So clearly it's something that you think is significant. So just tell us each uh, a little bit about how that came to be in your personal journey as it relates to leadership. Well, um, I joined the Urban League uh, last year uh, back in March, and I learned about it through uh, one of my line brothers. Um, I was actually surfing the internet and I saw um, on Twitter that there was another police incident, a police brutality incident. And I was like, man, you know, like, do we have any organizations that are in the communities out there making a difference or, you know, doing anything? And I just wanted to do more. I had just became an attorney. Um, I wanted to see what I can do in my community to contribute and to help out. And so somebody had put me on with Urban League. They was like, hey, check this out. It's a good organization. And so um, I pulled up, you know, the young professionals online, looked through everything. And then the same day I was talking about it, I joined. Um, a couple of days later, the President Dion, he hit me up. We had a phone conversation. And then from there, I was like, man, you know, I'm with it. So, yeah. Okay. And Josh, uh, what about you? Uh, my story was a little bit similar, but mine was more focused on community service. And I think that kind of speaks to the committees that we're in charge of now. <laughs> I, uh, I just moved back to Houston. Uh, well, I just got stationed back here, and I was looking for another way to get involved. And you know, no shade to any other organization, but I've been, you know, I'm part of Mega Star Five. You know, I've been I've been a part of NAACP before, and so I was kind of looking for something new. Like I'm always looking for, like, all right, what can I bring some new blood into? What have I not tried yet? And uh, Urban League was that for me. And so I did my little research. I looked on the page. I loved it. Um, I sent an email. I actually didn't get a response back. It was July. I didn't know that the thing shut down in July. But, um, you know, I was like, I'll just wait my time. And then one of the people, I went to the meeting. Obviously, I didn't understand what, like, young professionals meant because I showed them, like, a T-shirt and sweatpants. And I was like, oh, man, they're going to look at me weird. But, <laughs> but you know, they were mad cool. And everybody kind of, like, welcomed me in. It was like, you know, find your niche. And so I've been a private ever since. Okay. And how how did you guys come to get into leadership specifically? And I, and I forgot that y'all are co-chairs for the, um, you know, same committee. Well, Marcus, you were civic engagement and Josh, you with community outreach. Correct. But there is a lot of overlap between the committees. So how did you guys get into leadership? Marcus, okay. Okay, bet. So, um, I got into leadership shortly after I joined. Um, I know the position was vacant. Um, Initially, I didn't run because I I didn't know if I could. Um, I had just joined. I'm like, man, you know, um, I want to get some experience as a member before before I step up into leadership. But then that was a vacancy. And then the president can appoint people into those vacancies if nobody uh, runs for that position. So nobody ran for the position. It was left open. Um, and I had some conversations with the ELT members. Um, and then from there, I went ahead and just answered the call. I was like, let me go ahead and see what I can do. Um, so after talks with them, I decided to go ahead and step up into that position. And since last year, you know, I've been holding down the civic engagement committee by myself. Wish I had a co-chair, but the committee is doing an excellent job. Um, so, yeah, man, it's, it's, been a, it's been a good ride since then. Uh, for me, I think um, it just came at a very, you know, I feel like sometimes things are supposed to happen. 
uh, during that time, like right before the election process, I had almost like all but left the Urban League. Uh, I had a friend pass away from gun violence. And then I was like, you know what, obviously we're not doing anything in the community. Like where I was, I, I'd only been a part of a year, but I was like, you know what, all this stuff I'm a part of, you know, like nothing's working. And I was kind of like in a weird place. And I went to his funeral and then they were like, Josh, you know, like, you know, you should be a leader. You got to be a leader, blah, blah, blah. And I uh, just kind of, I was like, all right, you know what, let me step into the role. The elections were that week. <laughs> so I, you know, it, it kind of just, it kind of was like, oh man, I probably should have been trying to get elected in the Urban League then. And then, uh, you know, nobody ran for the position. So it was vacant, single to Marcus. And uh, I hit up some of those people that were nice to me when I initially joined. And they were like, yeah, do it. We'd love to see you there. So um, I just joined. I've been trying to make a difference. So, I mean, I, th I think the Urban League is just a, it's a, it's a really, it's like a vehicle on the way towards the promised land, right? So I think sometimes it don't really matter who's driving, but I think, uh, you know, it helps when you have somebody in there that kind of like knows where they want to go. So I think, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just right now, I'm just the one in the driver's seat right now hitting the gas. But, I'm in know, straight fire, man. Straight, straight fire. Hey. My come brother, on, my baby. brother, my brother. Hey, come on, brother. You know what's up, baby. Shout out to all my leaguers. What I'm talking about, brother. All the hey. Brother, yeah. That'd be brother times a thousand in this thing. <laughs> Well, no, man. I'm glad that both of you find your way uh, to the Urban League. Um, you know, obviously, I've been involved for a while, but it's definitely been a blessing to me, and I'm glad that you two have found it a similar experience, uh, even though your journeys were were different. And you know, following up on what Josh said, you know, losing a, a friend, a loved one, as it relates to gun violence. Over the past few weeks, and it started with the case of Ahmad Arbery, who was actually killed on February the 23rd, I believe. But we didn't find out about it until about you know two months later. Mm -hmm. Then shortly after that, you had Breonna Taylor, which actually today, uh, the day that we're recording, June 5th would have been her 27th birthday. And even though she is not a member of the Young Professionals, she is a young professional. She was someone who was in our age demographic, 21 to 40, but also someone who was very good at her job, uh, was a member of her community, and you know, ultimately was killed as a result of what is currently being presented as a no-knock warrant. Um, they went in unannounced, uh, the boyfriend fired because, of course, if someone comes into your home, you don't know who it is, uh, and you have a weapon, you're going to shoot. Right. And they returned fire, and and in that ended up killing Brianna Taylor um, in her home. And so those officers still have not been arrested. Uh, we are actually—I know I personally have sent out um, letters to the government there, and we have an action alert through the National Urban League. Uh, if you go to NUL.org, you can participate in that to make sure that you send out communications to the leadership, the elected officials there, so they can pursue justice on behalf of Breonna Taylor, her family, and the Black community as a whole. And more recently, George Floyd, uh, an officer killed him in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we've seen a lot of activity here in the Houston area because he was from Houston. He was from Third Ward, uh, specifically over here in the CUNY. Uh, home area. And we had a march, uh, a peaceful march in conjunction with his family. You had elected officials and they were projecting 30,000 people. And it actually ended up being about double that 60,000 people that peacefully marched uh, on behalf of George Floyd and his family. You had people like Trey the Truth, uh, Bun B, uh, DJ Mr. Rogers, the whole relief gang. Uh, pure justice. You had a lot of the YPs out there, I believe. I know Josh was out there. I don't know, Marcus, if you were out there as well. Both of you were there. And so one of the things I did want you guys to talk about as we get into the conversation is what was that experience like being at the protest? Why did you feel the need to be there? So um, I went out there with a group of attorneys. Um, the day before the march, we had a Zoom conversation, and we noticed that on Friday um, there was a protest, and about 400 people had got arrested um, in the city of Houston. 
and we learned that the police officers had essentially trapped those individuals, um, backed them up against the corner or backed them up on like a roadway or a highway and then arrested them for obstructing the highway. And so the attorneys, we all had, you know, said, you know, we don't want this to happen again. We want to go out there. We want to fight against, you know, police brutality as well as represent those who are wrongfully arrested. So we went out there, one, to protest, but two, to also protect the rights of others. Um, so I went out there with a group and we called ourselves the legal observers. Um, we went out to just watch to see where, you know, if there was any um, police activity or anybody um, getting mistreated by the cops. Um, so we stayed out there the whole time. And then it wasn't until after the peaceful protest, um, the officers initiated uh, the violence, in my opinion. And then we saw hundreds of people getting arrested. Um, and, and I'm representing those people now. So those calls are still coming in. But I went out there to try to, you know, protect the rights of the people. Um, I went out, I did not go out there to take notes. <laughs> I went out there, um, I'm not, I'm not a big person about protests. I, I mean, I never have been until recently, but, um, you know, because of all the things I've been doing a lot more research back into the Black Panther Party and that's why I grew up on my parents, like, my mother, like, was really heavy into, like, teaching me about the Black Panthers and about Malcolm and I was joking with somebody actually at the march, I was like, I don't even know if I read the Martin Luther King speech until, like, high school when I had to or something like that but you know up until that point I just knew you know Huey, Fred, and Malcolm they was our black leaders and so um I went out there for the word solidarity you know I'm not a, a big person about protest but I do think in times like this the first thing we got to do is show that we come we can come together and we can get behind one you know one kind of agenda and I know that you know some people are like you know hey protests don't there's no action items afterwards um, I went out there to make sure, and I kind of like promoted in like the group chats and stuff like that, and like through text messages saying like, "Hey, after this, we're gonna meet up and we're gonna talk about some action items, and uh, I think we're gonna do it again after our general body meeting next Tuesday. We're gonna just talk about some action items that we can do uh, to kind of further the cause and make sure it keeps going. Because I think too many times people don't come to these protests because they're like, "Oh, well, nothing's gonna happen afterwards. We're just gonna talk, march, and then we're gonna, you know." disperse and everybody, you know, was gonna have a happy-go-lucky feeling. Like, yeah, I was there, I, I, you know, I contributed somehow. But I think what we're seeing now is that, at, well, at least as I get a little bit older, I'm starting to see like, people don't know who the leaders are. So sometimes people gotta step up and be those leaders. And because we're in leadership positions, sometimes they look to us. Like I'm community outreach, I'm not civic engagements, but somehow people were like texting me like, hey, where are we meeting at? And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, you just you don't even see me as my positional leader. You see me as just a leader in the organization. So um, I think it's I think I, I was out there mostly to for solidarity. And then uh, afterwards, I was out there just to make sure like, hey, let's meet up. Let's talk about it. Get your emotions out. Get your feelings out. Because it's not natural to see that kind of death. Uh, you know, a lot of people can't reason it out. Well, people shouldn't have to reason that kind of death out. But it's good for people to be able to get to talk afterwards. And then we got some brilliant minds in the city that can I think can make some make some real plans. So that's that's, that's what I was out there. No, and, and Marcus, something you touched on, I didn't even realize that was taking place in terms of police intentionally pushing people into areas. I saw like an Instagram video mm -hmm. where some protesters had got pushed back into like a construction site or something that was private property. And then they were arrested mm -hmm. under the guise of trespassing right. or something to that effect. And that is one of the things that we do intend to reach out to Chief Acevedo and the police department to inquire further about, because if people are peacefully protesting, irrespective of how irritating it may be and you may want them to go home, that's the intent of a protest. It's meant to disturb, it's meant to, to irritate. And as long as they are not destroying property, they are not physically inflicting violence, they have that right. And I've seen and heard, not just here in Houston, Fort Bend, in DC, our own president actually had peaceful protesters tear gas uh, so that he could go stand in front of a church with a Bible. Um, yeah. And I don't wanna spend a lot of time on that. But the point being that people have not been given the, the freedom and the right to peacefully protest. And you juxtapose that with what we saw with some of the protesters up in Michigan, 
uh, and I believe even Wisconsin, when it came to wanting the states to reopen, and they were actually armed with assault rifles, and nothing happened to them. They were not pushed into areas and then arrested. They were not hit with tear gas or pepper spray. And it's, it's, it's a serious problem. And so from that, with what Josh said, people want action. Uh, we're seeing these marches. I even just saw something before we got on the podcast where a group of students out in A-Leaf have organized a march. And shout out to uh, Councilwoman Tiffany Thomas, who was the president of HAWP when I joined back in 2009. She's now on city council. She is helping to protect those young people as they look to organize that march and make sure they can do so in a safe space. Uh, so for those that are in the A-Leaf area, uh, definitely join her in that. But, you know, what's, what's the next steps? What's the action things? I'm curious, Josh, what are some of the things you've heard? Because I've heard ideas ranging from starting to defund police departments. And what they mean by that is pulling money out of the, the budget allocations and then reallocating it to other areas that would be more beneficial to the community because I think the argument can be made, and I'm actually starting to look for research and data uh, to support one way or the other. Does the investment in the police department actually translate to positive outcomes for the community? And if it does, who does that best serve in the community? Is it the community as a whole or is it a very specific demographic? Uh, I've even seen ideas around the qualified immunity. And Marcus, I don't know if you're educated on that, but from what I understand, it essentially is something that protects government employees. And it's something that a lot of officers have been able to hide behind when it right. comes to uh, being prosecuted in a lot of these instances. So those are just some of the things that have been mentioned as a much longer list. Uh, and the National Urban League just came out with a list of about five to six things in the path forward that they want to see uh, that include qualified immunity as well as special prosecutors. But Josh, initially, what have people been uh, saying to you that they want to see? Um, so I, I've heard some similar things like defund the police. And uh, let me say this, I am, I'm in the Coast Guard, which is I'm active duty military, and uh, we do law enforcement. So I do understand how government funding works. And I know that it is extremely hard to secure government funding. Um, I'm not a, I'm not gonna say I'm against defund the police. Uh, I, I understand where your heart is. I don't say whose heart is when they say that. But I don't think it's about uh, like funding the like where the like the funding going directly to the police. I think it's about the programs and things that it does fund in the police department. So if you're funding the police and they're getting new, you know, new body armor every year and new new weapons every year and things like that, that's stuff that maybe we can reallocate. I would say more more actually like reallocate the funds of the police department. So put more money into training, put more money into hiring like these these uh you know these people that can you know lead these programs and. You know, people out, and I think that's where people come from, like, okay, we need somebody outside the police department to teach the police department how to operate, how to respond to these things. Um, because I think the police are charged with a, uh, they're charged with a duty that is changing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, the world, the world is violent. People are violent. People have guns. But just like in the military, it's, it's not so scary. It's like, okay, we know that people have guns, but how can we de-escalate the situation so we don't we don't have to use our guns to like stop that person? You know, there's there's a, a bunch of ways uh, that you can stop a person from using a gun that has one before they fire off a shot and before you start to feel afraid. And I think some of the a lot of the training that the police department gets, if you're going to give them the weapons that the military has, and sometimes better than the military has, then you got to give them some kind of tr the same training. I mean, if they're out there on the front lines, you got to give them that. You know, they got to be able to talk somebody down. They can't be afraid, which is the, the phrase you always hear, like, oh, I fear for my life. You know, like, he posed a threat to me. You can't keep continue to get that with the same type of people. You know what I mean? And I think that's what kind of people are calling for when they say defund the police. It's not so much, like, don't give them any money so they can't, you know, feed their kids and stuff like that. It's more so reallocate the funds uh, that the police department does receive to make sure that the programs are being put in place for people like us to succeed. A few of the other things that, I mean, you always hear, um, you know, like, circulate the black dollar. And I mean, I've always been a fan of that. I'm not, uh, like I said, I am a fan of Malcolm, but I'm not a, you know, separation. I'm not, I'm not for separation like Marcus Garvey and uh, early Malcolm was talking about, 
but more so like racial independence. I think we should, like black people should be able to be independent by ourselves and circulate our dollar around our communities more. But uh, I think we have a mindset that kind of leans on other races. Uh, we kind of feel like we need the other races to survive. Like, you know, we have black supermarkets, but for some reason there's a stigma against it, even within our own community. But that stuff, that's, that's internal stuff that we have to get over. And I think honestly, a lot of people just want to say, uh, you know, what does change look like? Everybody says like, hey, I want to change this. I want to change that. Or, you know, like until we get to change, until we get to progress, I think really what people want to do is like sit down and like actually say, okay, what does that look like? And can, how can we get achieve it in our lifetime? Um, I don't think that if you, like some people are uh, of the notion that they won't be able to achieve change in their lifetime. And I think when you say something like that, then you've lost all hope. And I think that's the one thing that black people have had since, you know, since I think we got over to this country and it's just embedded in us. It's like, we lose hope, then what, what do we have as a race? And so um, I think that's what people want to see is like an actual plan that defines or gets at least some kind of idea of what change is so we can see it and we can start working towards it. Because um, now we're part of a generation that we're looking at having kids and until my wife has said that, but you know, we're, <laughs> we're looking at having kids and you know, we don't want our kids to be having these same conversations in 20 years that we're having that, you know, our parents had, that our grandparents had, that our great grand you know what I mean? So we want to make sure the buck stops here. And I think every generation does, but I think, like I said, we have, we have the minds and uh, we have the generation, we have the tools needed to define that change and then actually start working towards it and make some, make something stick. No, absolutely. And I think you made an important, important, uh, distinction when we're talking about defunding people are not suggesting taking away police officers salaries they are wanting to look at the specific line items within the budget yeah. and like you said some of those militarized uh, things that they receive whether it be weapon weapons um, the armor etc are those things really necessary because when you're looking at how officers are engaging with prote protesters and entering into communities it looks very much like a war zone. Mm -hmm. And our country invests probably more than any other country. I have to look up the specific numbers as it relates to police and military. And we are still one of the most violent countries in the world. And so, you know, there's something that's not adding up. So I think at this point, everything is on the table. It needs to be researched, it needs to be looked at. Uh, and substantive changes need to be made because we've we've tried, you know, various types of trainings to, to different degrees with different police departments and the results are not there because right. people are still dying at a much higher rate than we're able to get the reforms in place. And I've even started to see some some young brothers that I've known for a long time start to post about their own experiences with police officers. I didn't even know these things happened to them. Um, and it's it's been, I think, a space for people to experience some type of therapy or relief in that sense. Um, but Mar was it Marcus or Josh, you were about to say something? Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, like this whole notion of defunding the police and uh, more so reallocating the funds is not new. Um, you gotta think about it whenever there's been some kind of like rally against like some kind of government entity you know you gotta think like vietnam war they were talking about defund the military and uh you know i and i, I seriously think i don't think people want to like take away the salaries of those military personnel i hope they don't you know but um i think what they want to do is like like you said go line by line like really look at the budget and say okay where's your money being spent because you know you can really you know tell a lot about a person about where they spend their money you know what i'm saying like if you look at my charge card it's probably a lot of food and uh like probably probably just food <laughs> food and bills <laughs> so but you know what i'm saying you know i'm a bigger guy so it's like you know this notion i don't want people to think like hey well black people came with this notion that we did defund the police no you know look back to the 90s they were trying to defund defund those organizations and whenever there's a government entity that they feel like it's not serving the people i mean you can go all the way back to you know the revolutionary war you know what i'm saying like when americans felt like the the Britain's, the British account, the British government wasn't working for them. They were like, all right, Boston Tea Party, we're going to throw y'all money out, right? Like, you know, we're going to mess up y'all money. And that's always, that's all, that's embedded in America. You know what I'm saying? It's probably embedded in the world, but I'm not, I'm not big on world history. I'm big on like American history and African American history. So uh, these ideas are not new. 
uh, it's just now it's just black people are getting a hold of them. We're finally starting to wake up to these ideas that, that white people have already been using against other white people. But I think now you're starting to see that, you know, you start to see that bias again, because, you know, I'm not gonna say it's all white people or all black people, but they're starting to say like, oh, why would you defund the police department? You can't do that. But it's like, these are things that people have been talking about in other arenas, like for centuries. Right. So it's, it's, it's nothing new. It's nothing new under the sun, so. And Marcus, if you could um, provide, I guess, some additional clarity on qualified immunity. And then I want to transition to the comments from Drew Brees and uh, some of the, the reactions from that. Okay. So to keep it simple, qualified immunity applies to government officials and that protects them for certain lawsuits. So let's say I'm an officer and while I'm on duty, I hit someone but I say, oh, hey, I did this in my line as a police officer. I come up with some story, oh, he was trying to attack me, so I hit him, I pushed him, I made him fall, and he busted his head. But since I was a police officer and I was acting in my line of duty, um, I'm protected. So it's basically a shield from criminal charges, well, certain criminal charges, and uh, civil lawsuits. So you can't have like a, somebody bringing a civil claim of assault um, or some kind of wrongful arrest against them. As far as criminal cases, you're protected to some degree, but if, if like the, um, if, if an investigation occurs and they find out that it wasn't through the line of a police officer, or you weren't acting in your government capacity, you were acting on your own outside of your job description, then they could go after you. So the qualified part just basically means that it has, it has to fit under your job description or you're acting in your line of duty in order for that uh, immunity to apply. Hmm. And it, it's funny, the example you, you started with in terms of like pushing somebody, this just happened, I want to say yesterday, there was an elderly man in Buffalo, New York, who walked up to some of the officers uh, at the beginning of a protest. And I couldn't tell if he was trying to like hand the officer something or if he was like putting his hand in front of him almost to like block them. But he was an elderly white man and they, they shoved him he fell, he hit his head on the concrete, started bleeding and was knocked out. And so I don't know ultimately what happened or what's going to happen, but it is literally what you just described. So I would imagine that they're probably gonna say that was under quote unquote qualified immunity and they're not gonna be able to take any action against those officers. Yeah, well, I would say criminal charges may come um, if, and depending on who's in charge or who has to go through like the, what's, what's that, in, in, internal um, affairs and all of that, whoever performs the investigation. But I think that the officer that pushed that man, he may not be able to use qualified immunity only because they may see that that action was so egregious that qualified immunity wouldn't even apply. So it's, it's if the act, you know, is like completely out of there or egregious or there's no way that could have been in your regular scope as a, um, an officer, then you can't use qualified immunity. But I really, I really think that officer may face something, even though right now I think they're on leave or suspend, they're just suspended. Um, so I, I really think that that officer that made that push, he might have some kind of backlash later down the line. Well, I hope, I hope. Well, yeah, I was right, following man. that story actually. Cause I was like, oh. I, I tried to, yeah, I was, cause I saw it and the guy, the guy who, uh, Fell, he is he's okay or well, he's stable, I guess. Um, but I was wondering, I was like, man, I was trying, I'm not gonna like selfishly, I was looking on the post and seeing in the comments to see how many All Lives Matter posts was under there. Um, because you know, like when I, I feel like every time a black something happens to a black person, Black Lives Matter, people get on there and say, make all these Black Lives Matter posts, and then people get on like, no, All Lives Matter. And I always like to see, like, oh, where those All Lives Matter people, you know, when people of other races get hurt or injured, you know what I mean? Like, what 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 lives are you really talking about matter? Mm -hmm. I didn't see too many. Well, maybe I was on there. I'll go back and make sure see if anybody jumped back in there. But um, I think uh, you know that that immunity is real because you know if I'm in the line of duty, you know if I even fire off a shot or anything like that, there's some kind of review process. And I think uh, I think the people are kind of just tired of like police going through this review process and they have no idea what it looks like. They have no idea who the people are who are conducting this review process. And you know they're not seeing the results that they want. You know what I mean? Like in the in the military, if we if we do something 
like like you said, egregious, then it could come back to hurt us, and we have the UCMJ in, in, in effect. You know what I mean? So it's a whole nother set of laws that we have to make sure we abide by. And I think the police don't really, police don't really have a UCMJ. You know what I mean? Like, what is the UNCJ? Uh, it's the it's code of military justice. And so um, what it is, is it's, uh, I don't want to call it like a constitution basically for the military, but it's just a whole nother set of rules that, you know, as a military member, you have to follow. And uh, so it kind of goes and, and it's, and it's out there. People can read it. You know what I mean? Like, um, it goes into a lot of different laws, basically from like anything different, like disrespecting the flag is in there. And, you know, like if we get into a car accident or we, we, we hurt somebody or we're drunk on the job or it gets into a lot of different laws. It's like it's the code of law for the military. But so in the military, you know, I think people under like a military is always one of the highest rated people, like satisfaction wise, like people kind of trust the military just because they know if we do something wrong, not only do we got to face the UCMJ, but if it gets found too egregious, then we can also face criminal, uh, like civil charges, like criminal charges, like from the civilian world. So, um, but I think, I think we're going to move towards something like that with the police department. I'm not sure. I'm not a lawyer. I'm sure me and Marcus will talk about this offline, but, mm -hmm. you know, getting some kind of code of law for the police officers to follow and that the people can read, research and be like, oh, this applies here. Because, you know, like, if, for example, if, if I had a... God forbid, if I ever had to be on somebody's neck for some reason, for eight minutes or something like that, um, the UCMJ, that they probably put me in the brig immediately. Like, no paid administrative leave, nothing like that. I'm like, nah, you go to the brig, me, we're going to deal with this internally. And then if we find out it's that egregious, then we're going to uh, also press uh, civilian charges against you. So, um, and, I, and I think that just goes into, like, that immunity, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how much, I, I don't know how much I agree with the word, the word should be immunity. I don't like that word. That kind of means you can do what you want, but there's, there has to be some kind of accountability process that police don't have. And I always compare it to military. It's like military has an accountability, accountability piece, a large one, because we work for government dollars. We work for state, like tax dollars pay our salary. And so there's some accountability. Police, they're not as accountable. They're not held as accountable. And just to clarify, the brig is basically like military jail. Yeah, military jail. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a real thing. <laughs> I never been there. I never been there. We, we recording. I never been there. <laughs> hey, you, you brought up, I think, two points that definitely highlight why people are fed up and tired of being tired because there's no transparency when it comes to the process when they are reviewing the actions of officers it's all happens behind closed doors and then there's no transparency about the process and no accountability because these officers we've seen time and time again where and i i'm not about to list all the names but we've all seen the the graphics on instagram on social media like there's more than i can count and it keeps happening so clearly we have to change it dramatically. I wasn't aware of those different measures that are in place for the military, but it sounds like something that probably should be instituted when you're talking about the police departments, just because they are funded through uh, taxpayer dollars. And so they need to be accountable to all taxpayers, irrespective of if they are white or black. Right. And the last 48 hours, 24 hours, probably 24 to 48 hours, there was a statement in an interview on Yahoo Finance with Drew Brees, who was a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. And <laughs> he's still the yeah, quarterback still for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, yeah. He probably should retire. Uh, but he made a statement basically saying that he could never support anybody that disrespected the flag. And it goes back to when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee, I believe, four to five years ago about the same thing that we're discussing today, which is police brutality. And nothing has changed. And he peacefully protested. He took a knee. It literally had nothing to do with the flag, but it made people uncomfortable. And they felt it was disrespectful because it was during the national anthem where the American flag is raised. You know, it's symbolic in nature, et cetera. 
but he wasn't hurting anybody. And it caused a lot of outrage. This man lost his job. He still is not back in the NFL. Um, he's basically been blackballed, whiteballed, however you want to, uh, you know, phrase it. But Drew Brees was completely not just tone deaf. He showed us who he truly was in making those statements. And then the responses from his teammates, um, our frat brother and Malcolm Jenkins, you had Michael Thomas, who was one of the best receivers in the National Football League, probably top five. And like to your point, he probably shouldn't be the quarterback anymore. I don't know how he's going to go into that locker room to lead a group of black men. And he clearly does not value black lives. He issued an apology statement. And for me, and this is kind of where, you know, I want your initial thoughts on that whole situation, but I want to focus is I think it's time out for just apologizing. Do we want to cancel people completely? No, but I want to see what action steps is Drew Brees now going to take to show us who he really is. And it's not just writing a check. While that is helpful, we do want you to fund social justice organizations like the Urban League, like the NAACP. Locally, we have an organization called Pure Justice, all doing great work. But what are you substantively doing to help change and break down systemic racism and oppression in this country? And so uh, first, each of your respective reactions to that whole situation and then more so um, the steps on the people that, on, on a part of the people and corporations that they should be taking um, to help get us to a better place. You want to take the first, Josh? No, Mark, I'm going to let you go because I got a, <laughs> I got some whole, in the ends. <laughs> yeah, that man got a whole dissertation. Josh, I, Josh got I, a whole book ready to me, hey, it is a it's one quadrant of one piece of computer paper, but I got it. My gosh. Okay, I, I'll keep it brief. I keep brief. Josh to take the last, you know, forty minutes or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> nah, man. So when I heard that, like, really, and and I, I hate to say it like this, but I'm I'm not surprised, man. I'm I'm not because in the past week, we've seen different celebrities voice their opinions. Some good, some bad, mostly bad, and you know every statement that comes out from a celebrity people you know just fire it up and chop it up it's like man come on but when drew Brees said that i'm like yeah man that's a wrap for you bro like that that's it no, don't don't say nothing else because the nfl you know is embedded with racism and we saw that with uh Kaepernick. and so my thing is he's blind to well that statement showed us that breeze is blind to you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, he's blind to any other movement because for you to just completely disregard uh, what one of your NFL brothers did um, and just to say, hey, you know, this disrespecting the flag and all of that, like, man, come on, tone deaf, um, colorblind. But what I think those celebrities or, you know, athletes can do to fix this, one, um, yes, cut a check, but two, you need to continually do something in the black community or to build up the black community, whether it's, I don't know, starting a nonprofit or whether it's uh, attending other organizations, uh, meetings and uh, events to help benefit them. Because an apology doesn't mean anything. Of course, your PR team is going to say pull out an apology because now the whole team is going to lose money based on what you said. So if it wasn't just his personal agent or whoever, I'm pretty sure the team's PR person told him, hey, put that out. So on his own, he probably didn't want to release that statement because we saw how he really felt when he made the initial comment. So I think we would need to see more than just an apology. And that goes for anybody else that comes out with something, not just uh, him. So I would say cut a check and then get involved with organizations if you really are a man of your word. Yeah, no, definitely good points. That, that took a few of my quadrants, so I won't go all the way in. Go <laughs> in. <laughs> go, go all in. So, so when I heard the Drew Brees comments and the, the Jake Fromm comments, um, so here's my thing. One, I'm not a fan of apologies because it's like, you know, I don't need you to apologize to me. You know what I mean? Like, just do better next time. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how you apologize. But I think one – one kind of like phrase that sticks out to me about all this stuff 
is like the privilege of ignorance is bliss. Like the, the fact that Drew Brees can, you know, be turn have a blind eye to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement or why, why Colin Kaepernick was kneeling. Um, the fact that he can be ignorant to that, I'm not calling him a dumb guy, but the fact that he can be ignorant to that just shows that kind of the privilege that we're talking about, that we're discussing, you know what I'm saying? They, um, you know, as a black man, I have to wake up black. I gotta, you know, go to the grocery store black. I gotta go to the gas station black. And you know what I'm saying? I gotta go to sleep black. And my thing is like, I, I don't have the privilege of being ignorant to what these protests really mean. You know what I mean? I don't have the privilege of being ignorant to, you know, what people are doing that, what people are doing in society that affects me or like what laws are being passed, what policies are being uh, passed or looked at. I don't have that privilege. And so it's just, it just goes into that, that privilege that we're talking about and that privilege that we're trying to fight against, that systematic oppression that we're trying to fight, fight against is that the fact that Drew Brees can come out and say some stuff like that. And, and I read his whole statement, all right? Like I, get what he, I get what he was trying to say. He had a very blind part of it. And then he tried to talk about like, you know, he talked about his grandfathers who, you know, thanks for their service. Um, you know, and then he talked about then, but then he kind of met, for me, he messed up again when he said like, you know, the movement of the 60s and civil rights, and he put those on the same level. Um, I would argue to say that if Drew Brees knows that to build this country, it took his grandfather's, both his grandfather's service, and it took like the civil rights movement, the people in the 60s to kind of really like get this country to where it's at and like what this flag really, like what the flag is supposed to stand for, um, then I, I, he knows that there's some kind of connection there, right? But I think what he's ignorant to the fact of is that those people in the 60s are not soldiers, all right? Those are American citizens fighting for, like fighting to get the rights of, to be American people. You know what I mean? Like, and the, the fact that he, he equates those two, but they're not, they're not the same. You know what I mean? Like two people are going off to fight in a war against another country to solidify this country's right to fly that flag and to like solidify our freedoms and, and solidify that right to free, uh, to free speech. You know what I mean? That first move. So, but for some reason he thinks that the people who are fighting the civil rights movement, like somehow we were soldiers and we were fighting against some other country to, you know, get our freedoms. We were not, we were fighting against the systematic oppression 60 years ago. Yeah. 60 years ago to, to get these things into place. So I feel like, you know, I don't need an apology from Drew Brees. Uh, I mean, the check is fine, but you know, I'm not about to tell that man how to spend his money because once again, it kind of goes in like, we don't need his money. You know, I like, but, if his conscious, if he, if he, if someone educates him, like Martellus Bennett tried to on Twitter, if someone educates him and he's like, oh, now I understand, I want to do something for the black community or for the minority communities, then cool, we welcome that. But if he's just doing it to say like, hey, shut up, here's some money, nah, dog, you can keep that check. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't need that. Like, I'd much rather have, uh, you know, Drew Brees as a proponent for the black community than him just writing a check so we can, so we can be quiet. And I think too many times we allow people to write checks and apologize, but it's like, that's not enough. You know what I mean? Like, cause you gonna go and say the same thing or you gonna, he has kids and you know, he's on, his kids have to live in the world with us. You know what I'm saying? So what if he teaches his kids those same ideas? And I don't know if they're gonna play football or not, but I assume they're gonna have some kind of money when they grow up. And if they have the kind of money and platform that Drew Brees has without even doing the work, they may not be in the same situation where some PR team is telling them, hey, you need to uh, make a statement. You make, make an apology. Like one day they're gonna be like rich kids and they. You know, they, they have a, they have, I think as an entertainer, you, you're kind of like a public servant. So it's like, you know, they have a right to, they, they have to use their money for something positive. And Drew Brees as a father doesn't teach them like, hey, I messed up and this is what you should do when you get older. Like then, I mean, the cycle repeats itself and that's how racism continues to, you know, make it through the generations. Um, but there is a part that I did want to address because I'm, I'm like this whole flag thing. Um, I, I like really did some research on this, right? And so as you, look, if you want to look it up, you can. It's United States Code 4, Title 4, Section 1. All right, it talks about the flag. It's, the, it's called the flag code, all right? And it gets into, you know, what things you can do with the flag, things you're not supposed to do with the flag. And, um, you know, it says you're supposed to stand um, when the flag's presented. And, you know, like it talks about the Pledge of Allegiance, but I, I don't even know where the Pledge of Allegiance is these days. Um, I think it was drilled into me as a kid, but I don't know what, if people still do it or not, but it doesn't say kneeling is disrespect to the flag. It says that military members should stand, 
or you should stand when you hear, you know, like when you see the flag being presented, but it doesn't say like anything for civilians, like they have to, they have to stand. All right. Like it doesn't say kneeling is disrespect, but I'll tell you some things that they do say is disrespect. All right. Cause I wrote them down. Wearing the flag, like, you know, making a uniform out of the flag or some kind of costume out of the flag. And I don't know if you ever seen like Evil Knievel, like <laughs> draped in American flag. Can't do that. Not supposed to do that. That's disrespect. All right. Um, burning it if it's not okay. So if it's worn out to where it can't be presented, you're not supposed to be able to burn, burn a flag. I don't. I didn't see. You know what I'm saying? Like Trubies never talked about. You know, back in the 70s when they was burning flags and they was talking about the Vietnam War. Never saw him talk about that. You know what I mean? Like these things are things he could have brought up. You know what I'm saying? Um, don't let it touch the ground. You can't be using any kind of advertisement. So when you see these like advertisements on TV by all these you know, car dealerships now have an American flag waving in the background. Can't do that. Um, and then there, it goes into a, it goes into a bunch of things, but I would like remind people like, Hey, like you, people have created this social idea that kneeling during the national anthem is, is, you know, disrespect. It's not written in the, you know, like law. There's no law. This is a social creation of disrespect. And I think because like, because of the people, the people who are doing it, whether that be, you know, African-Americans or just, you know, African-American athletes, whoever these people have a problem with, they don't like to see them like breaking the norm or like make it ruffling feathers. They feel like, you know, hey, you should just be, you should just be out there to play the game. But, but you know, I want to remind people like, you know, uh, those soldiers like Drew Brees' grandfather and grandfathers and anybody, any other military person, like they were fighting to protect the freedoms that we have. And I'm not going to get into the Constitution and, you know, like, I'm not going to get into that yet. We'll talk about that later, apparently. But, you know, they were the first, it's, it's the right to free speech. You know what I mean? Like, they, that's what they first, that's the first thing they're protecting. And free speech includes the right to protest. And so, and, you know, sometimes, like, you know, military people have their own ideas. And I don't speak for the military. I don't speak for the Coast Guard. You know, I don't really speak for anybody other than myself. But when I take a look at it, it looks like, like, hey, he's protesting. You know, he's not burning the flag. He's not, you know, wearing it. He's not, you know, putting it in advertisements. Technically, he's not disrespecting the flag. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He's an American citizen. Now, if you want to say that that man's not an American citizen, that's what your real beef is. We got another problem, but that's another talk for another podcast. But, um, and I just want to put this out there. Flag day is June 14th. Uh, so if anybody wants to do anything, I mean, like, I never hear, I, I've never seen Drew Brees post a flag day. I actually looked at his Instagram. Like, I, he's never put up a post supporting Flag Day and be like, yo, I love that flag. But hey, it is what it is. I think, I think the fact that he can be ignorant to these issues, it just shows his privilege and that we should move forward accordingly. But like, I don't know why we're surprised, honestly. No, and I, I definitely was not surprised. It was just more so the, the willful ignorance on his part that was probably upsetting. That's that's one thing as a personal pet peeve of mine is willful ignorance. And you brought up some some great points. And I didn't realize June, you said 14th is flag day. Yeah, June 14th. It's not a it's not a technical federal holiday, you know what I mean? But every year the president, you know, recognizes flag day. It's kind of like yeah, you know how they like kill the turkey every year or something or they pardon the turkey every year. It's one of those things that the president does every year. But I mean, it is written like, you know, June 14th, uh, I want to say, I can't remember who wrote it into law, but you know, the flag has had those 50 stars and those 13 stripes since 1959 when we added Alaska and Hawaii. And so that's been our flag for a long time. And every year on June 14th, we celebrate, you know, we celebrate that flag. Cause I think Drew Brees did say something that was correct. And, you know, saying that he believes that the flag stands for unity. I personally don't kneel for the flag. I'm a, I'm a military member. I, I see something different when I see the flag. I don't see police brutality. You know, I see I see like my brothers and sisters in the military that I fought, my uncles and my family members that I fought, and some have died for for that flag. You know, so I see something different. But I'm not gonna disrespect that man's right to protest. You know what I mean? Like I will never do that. I'll never say, hey, you can't do that. Like I'm not gonna pull him up because I'm too busy with my hand over my heart, you know, or saluting and things like that. So I um I mean, yeah, like flag day, flag day is coming up, people. So we're gonna see, we're gonna see what we're gonna see what happens with Drew Brees. And we're gonna see what happens with people. Like if he really about the flag and how it, you know, represents unity, I think, all right, cool, that's fine. We'll see you on flag day and we'll see you talk about unity. 
I just think it's hypocritical when people say like, hey, that flag means unity and you better stand up for the flag. But in all other matters of your life, you are not talking about unity. You're talking about real divisive things. Like, you know, you want to say like, oh, I'll never agree with somebody that does that. That's not unity. You didn't even listen to their opinion, obviously. So you can't on one hand be saying like, hey, that's not unifying us if you kneel for the flag. But on the other hand, like in the same comment, you're not unifying the people by with your comments. So if you don't represent the flag, represent the flag. That's how I say you respect. No, and you, I have some ideas around that, but, and I, I have to go back and research and look back at the old interviews with Colin Kaepernick. His intent was never to disrespect the flag. And I know he even talked to different members of the military and you had people that fought in wars who told him they had no problem with it. But like you said, it's a social construct that people wanted to apply him, apply to him and his actions and hold him accountable based on what they felt was disrespectful. And ultimately, what I think he was trying to do during the national anthem and in the presence of the flag is showing that America has these ideals that it projects that it wants to represent or that it is. And time and time again, it fails to meet those expectations or at least meet them for marginalized and, and communities of color because it definitely has not met those expectations when you're talking about black people. Mm -hmm. And the thing I've started to even look at and think about is when you look at the constitution, uh, I don't know where you found the flag code, all these different documents that were written you know, hundreds of years ago. In present day, we're always looking at how do we progress? How do we improve things? How do we make it better? I don't think we're looking at those documents enough to say, okay, yeah, this made sense in the 1700s, the 1800s, but does this really make sense today? And updating those things and treating them as though they are so holy that they can't be changed because clearly it is not serving us to adhere to how it's written. And I know we don't have time to really get into all of that, you know, constitutional law, we have to bring in some experts to really dive into that. But that was just something I thought about in your in your comments with what you were uh, breaking down. Uh, Marcus, were you about to say something? No, I mean, I was just gonna add on to what Josh said. I'm like, hey, we'll see them on Flag Day. You know, we're gonna see if they're gonna make a post on Flag Day. I wanna see somebody on Instagram or Twitter talking about, hey, if we disrespect the flag, what are you doing to uphold it? So I'm gonna be searching on Twitter. I'm gonna be searching on Instagram. If I don't see nothing, I'm sliding this DM like, hey man, you know, let's have a little quick chat right quick. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, that's my thing. It's like, you know, and I have no problem with Drew Brees tearing up when he hears the national anthem. You know, I'm not like admittedly, you know, like I know black men don't cry or whatever, but admittedly there has been a time where I felt extremely patriotic on some of those things. Like when I graduated from basic training or when I graduated from OCS, um, I was, you know, honored to be able to hold the flag and, you know, like being an honor guard and stuff like that. But, and I've done like a few football games and, you know, baseball games, things like that. And I, and I love doing that kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? Because I love what the country is supposed to represent. Uh, and, that, and that's what I, and I always say, I love what the country is supposed to represent. Um, and so, but, and I, admittedly, I have teared up one time, before, like while, while doing host hosting colors. And it was just, <laughs> I remember it was in Wisconsin. It was, what cries? I didn't cry. I said I teared up. Oh, okay. I said, uh, so what happened? I'm telling you, it was like it was like negative 20 outside, and it was up in Wisconsin. We had the hoist colors, you know what I mean, at eight o'clock in the morning, just because we didn't have our lights were broken. And if the lights are broken, then you can't leave the colors up all day, so you have to pull them down and push them back up. Hmm. So it didn't matter the weather; you had to get out there and hoist colors. And I'm sitting up there, and I'm freezing. I'm from Texas. I'm freezing in Wisconsin, and I'm looking at that flag up there, and the music is playing. I was like, man, that's. <laughs> Hey, that's that's kind of beautiful. <laughs> but so I have no problem with that. It's just, you know, like, all right, take that same mindset into the rest of your life. Don't only, don't only, you know, represent the flag when the national anthem's playing. You should be representing that flag in every part of your life. If that if that's something that's important to you. Like, and I can, you know, and it seems like it's just it seems a little hypocritical and a little like a little bit of privileged ignorance that he that he does it. Yeah, I when I think it, about patriotic moments for myself. I've never served in the military. I am an Eagle Scout, so I've been a part of the color guard. I've had to post colors. Um, 
you know, fold a flag, et cetera. And so I, I learned a lot of that etiquette and even playing football. I remember, you know, there is like a sense of like energy and chills that you get. But as I've gotten older, because that was all before, yeah, before I graduated from college. So since then, and as I've learned more and more about our country's history and its treatment of black people, and like you said, it's more so about what America is supposed to be or what it represents versus what it actually is. And so I think for for black people, and I don't speak for all black people, but what most of us I think want is for America to actually be what it says it is uh, versus what we have experienced since being brought to this country in its current iteration. Um, one of the things we wanna make sure people keep top of mind during this time, as you're looking for different action steps, things that, can sh that you can do is voting and the census. Uh, we here in Houston, Texas do have a primary election coming up uh, in the month of July. You have to be registered by June the 15th to participate. So you do not have a lot of time to do so. Uh, but we as the early will make sure that we're doing our part to uh, blast that out to the community to make sure people know that that deadline is coming. But we also want to get more and more people deputized. I saw there is a virtual deputy training. We're trying to research it to see who would be beneficial to. And I actually reached out to the county registrar as well so we can get more people deputized to get as many people registered to vote as possible. Because even last fall in the mayoral election, we had anywhere from 10 to 12% of our population in the city that participated in the election. And I think now more than ever, based on what I'm hearing from people, they're understanding why their vote matters because the mayor of Houston is the one who appoints the police chief. So if you have issues with the police department, that at least in part falls on the mayor. When you look at the budget, people are talking about, you know, pulling money from different departments. That's with the mayor, that's with city council, so who did you vote for? Who did you not even show up for? These are things that people are starting to understand. And even with the response to the coronavirus, again, our elected officials are the ones who are at the helm of that. So you need to make sure that the people that you are voting for are not just people that you like or people that show up to your family events. What are they substantively doing to help make your communities better? And of course, uh, what we all have been talking about since last fall, the census, the 2020 census is here. Uh, we want to make sure that you guys are getting that done nationally. We had a big milestone about a week ago where the country has now hit 60% and more than 89 million households have completed the census. However, here in the state of Texas, we're only at 55%. Uh, and in the city of Houston, we're floating around 50%. So we have a lot more work to do. We need you guys to log on and complete that. My2020census.gov takes five to 10 minutes and you'll be able to make sure that hundreds of billion dollars are coming back to the community and you get the adequate political representation that you need. Uh, and so real quick for each of you, I wanted you to tell us why you completed the census, why is it important and why should people do it? Well, um, I completed the census well, one, because my mama, I'm in my mama house right now, so she completed the census, so that's why I completed it. But nah, man, because we, <laughs> we got to help the community, man. Like, we, we got, the way that we can uh, represent ourselves or the way that we can voice our opinion through protesting, through voting, and through completing the census. Every 10 years, man, this is the time uh, to make a difference. If we are able to, you know, represent ourselves, and we're able to show the government, hey, look, we need X amount of funds here uh, to benefit our streets, to benefit our educational system, to benefit, um, you know, just our overall well-being. And if, if you're telling me all I have to do is fill out a form, why not? And so that's why we as a household decided to go ahead and do that, because we know that we can improve our community uh, simply by filling in this paper or by going online or by making a phone call. So to benefit ourselves. Yeah, I think um, completing the census is important uh, because, you know, the allocation of funds, especially during this time, when people are talking about, you know, these programs and everything like that, and especially when you talk about education and, you know, just community resources in general, when you talk about the allocation of funds, the census is one of those big, those major things that, you know, they use to decide which areas get uh, funds allocated. 
And, um, you know, like, if you look in the history, like, states have been sued over not allocating funds correctly. And, uh, you know, so if, if, but if we're, if they have data saying like, oh, well, you know, there's no, there's no people in that area. Cause the census said, you know, they didn't fill out the census. Like then they say, oh, well, we didn't allocate funds to, you know, Worthing or Jack Yates because nobody committed, nobody completed the census in that area. So obviously, you know, our funds can be used in different areas. So I think, um, you know, the census is amazingly important, especially like voting, you know, this year, I, I historically been, you know, very hesitant to vote because I feel like I wasn't, you know, I didn't understand the law. I didn't feel like I was like, you know, I don't know who I should vote for because I feel like, you know, picking the lesser of two evils sometimes and I don't think that should be a choice. But I'm starting to understand now as I like grow and everything like that, that, you know, I need to, you know, be more active in voting and making sure that my people vote. And I'll say the reason that the actually main reason I completed the census with me and my wife, I'm not, I'm not with my mom's. So I wish I could have that cheaper rent, but uh, me and my wife completed the census. It was actually funny. Uh, I have uh, some friends that are not, let me see, dedicated to community service. Um, you know, they, you know, we had a lifestyle growing up and some of them are still in that lifestyle, but it's kind of funny to think that on the day the census dropped and you know, the, the day like voter registration, you know, they, all these things, my friend called me and was like, hey fool, <laughs> did you complete the census? And I was like, what? <laughs> what did you say to me? He's like, he's like, yeah, man, we gotta vote. We gotta get these bleep, bleep, bleep out of office, man, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you a hip on policy change? And he was like, he's like, bro, what are you talking about? And I was like, all right, man. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, we like to like, you know, act like professional people, the only people that are, you know, like knowledgeable about this stuff, but this affects everybody. And I'm talking about people that I did not know cared about policies and like that. They care about this stuff because they know the importance that the reallocation of dollars has on their community. And now I'm talking about fixing roads and everything. So uh, if you haven't completed the census yet, I don't know why, it's mean like you've been outside the house for a while. So get that done. Now, I appreciate those respective messages from both of you guys. And the last thing I ask you guys as we get ready to close out is why should people join Hall YP? Why should they become a member of the Houston Area Urban League Young Professionals? Man, join the Houston Area Urban League Young Why? What you mean why? That's not even a question. Why? Why should I join? Why should you join? Why not? No, I'll play. <laughs> but not. <laughs> But no, nah, man, I, I really love Hall YP, man. If, if you want to uh, find a way to help benefit your community, if you if you like getting involved, if you like helping people, uh, register people to vote, if you want to make change, if you want to serve your community, serve the black community, and if you feel the need to make that community better, but you just don't know what to do or how to do it, or if you want to learn, if you want to learn about buying a house, if you want to learn about uh, starting a small business, um, we have all of that. And I think joining is the probably the best way um, to make an investment in the black community in Houston. Um, I also agree with that. I know we were talking earlier and I use the analogy of uh, the Urban League being like a vehicle that's on the way towards progress. And I, I think that's what it is. I think right now people are starting to more and more starting to wake up and realize that they have to have their voice be heard. And um, the Urban League is one way to do that. Um, I think that the Urban League, you know, organizations like the Urban League, the NAACP, these are all like even Black Greek letter uh, organizations. Uh, they have been around for a long time. So uh, they've been around for a long time. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're trying to make change, but being a part of these organizations is, you know, how you have that collective voice a lot of times. And I know people say like, hey, you've been around, but nothing's changed. Well, then it's just taking that new blood. You never know. You never know if you're going to be the person that start, uh, starts to change, or if you're going to spark the brain that makes the change. So come join these organ these kinds of organizations, and be a, at least be a part of the conversation. Because it, you know, I mean, if you're not even if you hate from outside the club, you know what I mean. Like you can't be talking about what we're not doing and the progress we're not making if you hate from outside the club, man. At least come in the club and at least talk about it. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's the time for talk is done. All right, the time for talk has been done. I don't think there's ever been a time for talk. Uh, the time for action is now. 
And yeah. you, can, you can start those actions by coming to join the uh, Urban League, getting involved with some of the committees, and, you know, like, at least getting your anger out in a group of like sometimes like-minded people. And look, man, you're sitting at home, you're watching TV. Oh, my you're God. You're on quarantine. What else can you do? Join Hall YP, man. You can, like, look. All right, Everett. All right, Everett. All right. <laughs> I appreciate both of you brothers and all the energy. Uh, you definitely can join HallYP, H-A-U-L-Y-P.org. They are on all the major social media platforms. Follow them, join the movement, vote, register people to vote, complete your census, get others to do so, protest, contribute financially to the organizations like the Urban League, that are doing the work in the community. And like Josh said, don't just sit on the sidelines, but get in the game. If you think that's something we should be doing, we invite you to come to a meeting, bring your ideas, bring your energy so that we can make that change together. Thank you for tuning in this week and we'll see you guys next week. To learn more about how the Houston Area Urban League is impacting the community and ways you can get involved, visit us online at haul.org, follow us on Twitter at HOU Urban League, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcasting platform you enjoy. Thanks for listening to Empower, presented by the Houston Area Urban League.